Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. And I'm Matt. <laughs> back again. Matt is back with me. Today we're going to talk about the documentary that was in October of 2019, just this year, on the Discovery Channel, called Why We Hate. We're going to be talking about it, we're going to be having some commentary on it, and we're going to be just discussing the overall thoughts of this documentary. I think Why We Hate pretty much summarizes everybody's question of how can human beings possibly be so terrible to each other? Yeah, I uh, think that's... It's a question and a statement. (laughs) It's going to be both. Yes. So as we get started here, we're going to have... A little toast, because this is going to be a rough episode. It may actually even be two episodes, depending on how long this is, since I have 17 pages of notes. It's a lot of notes. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. It's possible that during this episode, you may hear the animals running around. I'm just going to say that up front, because it seems that every single time we try to sit down and have a long podcast, they get restless. So... There were six episodes in this documentary, and you watched five of them with me. I watched five, yes. Uh, This episode, if you... I do think everybody should watch it. I really think it's fascinating. It's enlightening. But be warned that I'm pretty tough, I think. I've read a lot about history. I've seen a lot of terrible atrocities, especially when we were learning stuff in school. And I could still only tolerate watching one episode a day. Even when I was doing the notes for the episode after I'd watched it once through, it was still hard to watch. Yeah, we had a few episodes that we had recorded and waited to watch and tried to power through a couple. (laughs) And it's like, I need a break. Yeah, there are, you know, it's a documentary. So there are are pictures, there's live footage. It's all very real. Yeah, this is this is not a movie. This is not drama. This is real life, and this stuff actually happens, and it's horrible. There's some brilliant honesty in a lot of it, and there's some terrible honesty in all of it. And well, and the very last episode is titled "Hope," and we'll get to that. But it's not all terrible. There are some positive things being done in the world to try to prevent what's what has happened and what could happen. But to get to that point, you have to understand what has happened. And our human history has been violent and excessive for the entire span of us being humans. So let's get into this. Are you ready? Waiting on you. Okay. The first episode is called Origins. And it begins with a guy named Brian Hare. He's an evolutionary anthropologist. And... He discusses researching what it is to be human. So what he really does is research animals and then see how animals think versus how humans think. Almost the level the I'm sorry, the evolution of human emotion. Yeah. In leading up to Well, and and for example, there's several emotions that humans have that animals don't have, like shame, for example. And that's the question, really, of this whole documentary is, can, can animals hate? And we get into that in a later episode, but actually this episode. But so they so they research how animals think versus humans and what specifically it is, why in our nature it is that we are so violent towards one another. Or 
Is it really just us? Are there other species that do that? Is it nature or nurture? Well, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, this is the bottom line basis. He, yeah, he's an he's an, he's an animal, right? Behaviorologist, exactly. So, so it says both animals and humans have. Uh, oh, I messed that up. Let me start over. No. <laughs> I'm not editing any of this, just so you know. Uh, so he spent a lot of time researching our two closest human relatives, which are chimpanzees and bonobos. So even then they, they say in the episode, you can't really even tell the difference between chimpanzees and bonobos unless you've been studying them for a long time. They're in the Congo and they both live on the river. One lives on one side of the river and one lives on the other. That was what divided them for centuries. Yeah, it's centuries. it is really amazing. So physically, they're almost indistinguishable from each other, but socially, they are almost the complete opposite. <clears throat> Both of the species have rich social relationships, long-term bonds, and they even mostly have the same diet. But the differences are incredible. And some of you may have seen some of this before. Um, we've all seen people that have chimps for pets, which is a horrible idea. Comments. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying, that, yes, I just remember from the show that both the chimpanzees and the bonobos are very, very social. Yes. In a lot of similar ways, but yeah. And, yeah, I just, yeah, I believe that uh, any sort of ape or monkey as a pet is... Just a bad idea. For, <laughs> but that's just for so me. many reasons. <laughs> my personal opinion. Yeah. So chimps uh, are male dominated in their relationships, in their their groups. They're aggressive, and they will kill young to establish dominance. Kill and, and eat. Young. Oh, let me tell you. I don't remember if I specifically got into this later in my notes, but they showed video. Of them ripping out the bonobo babies from the trees and eating them. I mean, it is violent. And uh, in troubling to me is what it is. They start with the genitals and then they demolish <laughs> their faces. And, well, yeah. it doesn't really matter to me where they it's, start. It's but just all terrible. It, it really is. Cannibalism is bad to me. Oof. So the bonobos, though, on complete opposite spectrum, are uh, they're a monarchy. They're a female-dominated though and they are the young are almost never harmed and the biggest difference well we'll get to that in just a second they split up six million years ago so they all lived together and six million years ago the chimps ended up on the north end of the congo and they had less resources so really they had to compete for resources and this made them more and more aggressive I just ignore him. He's going to be distracting. That's Ben eating his food. Oh, that is the kitten underneath playing with... Never mind. <laughs> All right. Chimps are uh, <clears throat> so much like us in that they're raised outside their resource-poor environment. So resource-poor environments. Um, this is the issue, is that if they're raised outside of that, if they're raised... If you take a chimp and you put it in a bonobo situation where they don't have to fight for resources, then they're loving. They're completely loving, and they're just like the bonobos. But because chimps are on the side of the river where resources are scarce, they're constantly on guard. They're constantly on patrol. 
They're constantly aggressive. Ready for battle. And they do do battle. They will wait and see if they think that there's one or two uh, bonobos by themselves. The whole gang of them will run over there and attack. Okay, so these are our closest relatives. Our closest relatives. Like 99.9% DNA. Yeah. And it is really just incredible that... Their competitive side for resources is just so violent. And simply split up because of a waterway, and they've evolved completely different. Yes, but yes. basically the same. Just like us, right? Just like humans, whether in a resource-rich environment. split. Well, continentally, socially, socioeconomically. I mean, so many different things separate us. But if you're These in a... These days, yes, but I guess we're going back in history. I was right. saying, like, yeah, mainly, yes. Yeah. All of the above. You're right. So, 50,000 years ago, uh, there were other humans. And it's postulated that we became better at working together as well as we evolved to be aggressive and bullying. So, somehow we collaborated our our ancient human selves into some kind of combination of chimpanzees and bonobos. Yes, we worked together, but we also were more aggressive. So, isn't that incredible? Yes. And I guess my big question is always whether it's a combination of love and manipulation or intelligence and and knowledge of your enemy. That's or a good all of the above. That's a good question. Um, so a developmental psychologist, Tracy Valencourt, if I'm saying that correctly, she discussed that until recently it was a rite of passage that bullying in the human culture was just something that we all went through. And it was just accepted in the culture. And they say in the documentary that 30% of youth were bullied occasionally and 10% are bullied every single day. Oh, and still, to this day, in certain cultures, in certain parts of the world, it's a rite of passage to be bullied into right. a situation. Well, it does talk about bullying is prevalent in every culture. But it wasn't until kids actually started dying by suicide that there was any kind of change made to bullying, which is pretty recent. Um, they don't really get into why specifically that is. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that kids were not dying by suicide before this? I mean, bullying has, is not a new phenomenon. That is a great question. Um, and maybe it did happen and just was not as brought to everyone's attention as the reason why. That's a good point. You know, I don't, I'd have to look at statistics. I don't know if more people... Suicide... Death by suicide has been a thing for a long time, but who knows how long it's been attributed to being bullied. Right. Because being bullied was part of growing up. When I was a kid, I got bullied. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I used to bully the bullies. I, I don't know born, what that says about me. I was born in 1972, and I didn't have any... Well, I was being bullied by the bullies, so I didn't have any bullies to bully because they were bullying me. <laughs> I had a pretty loud mouth, and of course, if anyone would have challenged it, I would have folded like a wet sock, but, you know, my bark was louder than my bite, I guess, and I would see other people getting bullied. I was friends with enough of a diverse group that I was able to stand up for people, and I just didn't tolerate it. And luckily, yeah, they didn't have a gang of people that just said, enough with her, and Beat the crap well, that, out of you. that almost happened. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't come to fruition, but but yeah, different time. Yeah, it was definitely a different time, and um, 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe not so much a different time. Maybe it's. I'm. I'm oh, it's definitely it's a different time. Changing to the point where. Well, can you imagine if we had kids social are media? Hopefully, more standing up to the bullies now, more so than kids used to be standing up to bullies. Well, yes or no? I mean, we get to that a little bit later about who bullies and whatnot, but social media was not around when we grew up, and you could get away from it when you came home to your neighborhood. That was really it. I mean, unless you went, you know, you live pretty close to your school, so you might have gotten a little bit more. But yeah, when I you came a, home, lived in a pretty judgmental uh, school system mm. when I was going through, and we were not well off, but we weren't really struggling. Yeah, my mom did great for us, so we were all right. But uh, yeah, there was a caste system. It seemed like there was mm-hmm. there were the upper class kids, mm-hmm. and yeah. There was, there was, you know, clicks and a little shaming and oh, some sure. bullying going on. But sure, there was nobody, there was nobody beating the crap out of somebody for being less than them. It was always somebody just roughing somebody up and giving them a hard time. It just seemed like that to me. It definitely seems more vicious now with white privilege was my... <laughs> prevalent in my entire gro- my upbringing. Yeah. Well, with the mob mentality now and the social media, and you just can't get away from it. And before, it feels like when you were getting bullied, even if it was happening in front of you, it was only right there in that little group. But now, with Facebook and Instagram and whatever they use now, everybody knows about it right now. Oh, yeah. And the people that would normally stand up for you are afraid they'll be targets. Yeah. If you shart, everyone knows. (laughs) (laughs) It's it. That's it. Yeah, you just got to own it. Yeah, own it. If you shark. Go home, clean up. Yeah. And by the way, we're not saying bullying is okay by any stretch of the imagination. Sorry. Uh, No, I just want to make that clear. So there was another story of a kid. Sorry, this um, documentary kind of bounces all over the place with different people, but there is kind of overarching themes. So this goes into a story of a kid named Oliver Grays. He's a transgender teen. And he was bullied, and he actually discussed his own suicide attempt. And that was an interesting little tidbit is just kind of how things are different because we didn't even know about transgender people really. It wasn't talked about. It was hush-hush, you know. And now people feel empowered to be able to talk about it and be themselves, but it also comes along with a lot more bullying. And just because, yes, more people are talking about it, that means also more people are talking about it. Right. Not always awesome. So there was another team. This one I really found interesting. Tell me if you remember her. Cecilia Hernandez. So she was severely bullied um, because she had to dress in the same clothes often. Because she basically moved from one parent's house or one family member's house to another. She was basically raising herself because her her, um, mom or whoever was working all the time. And nobody knew, of course, that she was being sexually abused at home. So even in elementary school, because they were poor, they didn't have anything, she had to wear the same clothes. She was relentlessly bullied at school. And she's like, internally, why can't people see that I'm being abused at home and now I'm being abused at school? And that actually turned her into a bully because she was so upset about it. By the time she hit middle school... She actually started picking on kids because she identified part of what was inside her. Yeah, time to release some anger. 
Right. And and anybody that she perceived as weak, which would have been her, and you know, earlier. She could pin them down because she knew exactly who they were. Yeah. By seeing herself in them. And it actually made her more popular, if you can believe that. Yeah. And then they started encouraging it, which I is think crazy. What's wonderful is she finally realized... Well, she didn't just realize it, right? So in the story, the teacher's aide, there was just some teacher's aide that was randomly walking down the hall when she was going to the bathroom or something and bothered to stop and ask her what's wrong and how can he help because he had seen her. That's what it was, yeah. Throughout her school Forgot. career and had seen her bullying others. Are you all right? Yeah, just a simple act of just noticing someone and acknowledging that something's wrong. Or asking what's wrong, you know? Yeah. And it changed her whole life. And she she regrets all of that. But it's understandable. And bullies, bullying is not okay. And also, bullies are usually being bullied at home or something else is going on. So there's some reason that they became bullies. So there's this simultaneous kind of you want to have sympathy for them, but at the same time their behavior is not acceptable at all. So what do you do with that? You know, that's the social work perspective coming out it's like i want to be pissed at you and shame you for bullying but underneath that obviously you're hurting and you're doing it for a reason so what is that reason you know it's just this vicious circle what are your thoughts um about bullies being bullied at home or somewhere else i think that's probably gotta be somewhere upwards into the like 95 to close to 100% of the time. Exactly what begins, you know, the whole process. But it's hard to think about it when you're the one being bullied to have sympathy or empathy for the bully. And exactly, yeah, you don't, you don't, you think of punitive. You don't think of help. Mm Kind of like our criminal justice system, huh? Right, and then you got, (laughs) you got the bully who in, in what might be a case of a grandfather bullying a father, bullying a son, where it's just the norm, and they don't even understand that it's different mm-hmm. or wrong. He yeah. just thinks that that's how it's done, because that's yeah. how it's always been. It could definitely be generational. So it's, there are so many different angles that this could be. Uh, this is completely a side note and not in this documentary, but did you hear that they're now studying and learning that generational trauma or trauma may be passed down in sperm? But yeah, I just saw a study about that. I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me. I, I need some numbers now. <laughs> we'll do a different episode about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So back well, to... At least they're doing the experiments. Yeah. Back to episode one. And it goes back to Brian Hare. And he is asking, are we born with or are we shaped by our surroundings to have morals? I believe in my heart that no one is born bad. But are you born with the ability to tell the good and bad? The difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that if you see something or someone suffering in front of you, that you can tell the difference early on. Well, you are right. Or at least it seems to be from the studies. So they go to this lady, Karen Wynn, and she is at the Yale Infant Cognition Center. They study babies three as young as three months and up to four or five years old, and they use puppets and different interactions. So they create these different scenarios with the puppets about puppets helping each other, 
or puppets being mean to each other. Very general, probably not so violent, mm -hmm. right? And then they use someone... <laughs> They're not showing videos of murder. No, 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 no. They're using the puppets to like, one puppet's trying to open the lid and the other puppet shuts it down. Or it helps open the lid, that kind of thing. Just something very benign, but it definitely explores the nice and mean aspect at least. Right. Not necessarily good and evil, but... Well... So then they show, they have someone that's not, that didn't do the experiment, a completely neutral person that doesn't know which puppet is good or bad, or mean or nice, come in and offer the puppets to the right. baby. the control. And see which one they go for. Now, of course, there's a little bit of bias there because the mother is holding the baby. And who knows how much of that you can feel the tension kind of thing. But the babies overwhelmingly choose the nice puppet. So even down to three months old, we can tell somewhat what being compassionate is. At three months, I don't even know if they can even, they can't even enunciate. No. They can't even, like, they're just, like, making, guh, uh, guh, like, yeah. Yeah. But in their brain, they can tell very basically what they've seen to be something that was good, helping something. Right. Right. And what was really amazing to me is that in the demonstration, the babies can show a need for justice and to punish. But they wonder if this leads to hate. So when they say justice, they mean it's okay when they see the mean puppet get in trouble. Mm. And that's the same as reaching <laughs> for the good puppet. You know, like the, the same babies. Right. I want that puppet because that one's bad. So and that's that one judgment. needs to be punished. Yeah. At a very early age. Hmm. Maybe even earlier than we're able to learn it by societal pressures. And, uh, yeah, I still would... I know that we watched it, and I don't remember the numbers on, like, how many how many children they did this test with. How many young... Well, I think they're still doing it, but it's quite a few. It was a big sample study. It's impressive. Well, and you might remember the study that they, you know, of course, I have some strong feelings about whether animals should be used as testing. But um, the controversial experiment, whether animals, or the controversial opinion of whether animals fear, feel fairness, which was the capuchin monkeys, oh, they yes. got really pissed. It'll still record. Yeah. One got a Cheerio and the other got like a grape or something or an M&M. <laughs> Is that what it was? Uh, I think it was uh, a fruit and a piece of cucumber. Uh, okay. They're and like... they, I mean, they did the same task same and they thing. got the same reward and it was fine. They did the same task and one of them got a cucumber, which was not their favorite thing. Not sweet at all. Oh my goodness. That monkey threw the cucumber. Yeah, had a fit. Banged on the bars, ripped, almost ripped them apart, slapping things, throwing things, had a fit. Yeah. Hey, I want the, I want the grape, not the because cucumber. Because it wasn't fair. Right. That I did the same thing he monkey, did. Yeah. <laughs> not going to make it a grape and I got a goddamn cucumber. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, fairness. Your capuchin monkeys are not as. Considered to be related to humans. Not as closely as Not chimps. Not as closely as chimps and yeah. bonobos. And bonobos. <laughs> Still, very, very interesting <laughs> behavioral uh, test. Yeah. So that actually led into a discussion of road rage. So if you remember this, 
Uh, how we feel when we're being treated unfairly can feel like we are being persecuted or threatened, which was interesting. And they, they were postulating that that can cause extreme reactions and violence. So they discussed um, what turns hate into mass murder and then shootings. So... So this this went from road rage to mass murder. Well, right. What they're really discussing was, you know, how do these, how does feeling persecuted and threatened because you're you're feeling treated unfairly, treated differently or unfairly. Or how does that translate into I'm going to go and kill a bunch of people? You know. So they they start by the road rage example, but. They really are getting into the mass shooting situation. So they were talking about multiple cases of mass shootings and that we're all vulnerable. And I'm curious if that translates into being feeling like, like you're trapped. Sure. Why not? Like <clears throat> Do you mean as the mass murderer? Not. As the shooter? Is that what you mean? Yeah. As the person stuck in traffic, the person who is mm. being treated differently... Trapped, uh, almost claustrophobic, but not that sim not that simple. But like, where do I turn? Mm -hmm. What can I do? Yeah, it's it's a sense of lack mm -hmm. of control. What are my options? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it really initiates the fear response in people. Uh, road rage. I mean, <laughs> it took an anger management class for me to really snap out of road rage, and it doesn't always work. Um. Road rage, as as we are the quote-unquote victim of road rage, right, we feel persecuted. We feel like they did it to us. We feel like they did it intentionally. But how many times have we all not been paying attention, almost missed our exit, or turned on our blinker and thought that we had a clear spot and someone was in our blind spot, right. or cut someone off because, you know, Slight distractions, accident. and you're the guy who caused somebody to <clears throat> blow a fuse. Right. So, and, and you expect that, you know, you didn't do it on purpose. You're like, I'm sorry. It was an accident. You wave because you're sorry, but the person behind you is like, F you. Yeah. You know, you did this on purpose. You're a jerk. And you, and you can totally <laughs> see both scenarios. And what's funny to me is uh, when you say road rage, you're like, when you, when you say road rage and you hear road rage, you think of the guy who follow someone and you know almost runs them off the road mm -hmm. and then there's a like both cars stop and there's intervention like they stop and they yell at each other right but i mean to me road rage is it, <laughs> on a regular basis i'm in my car i'm like uh, what are you doing you know i'm like <laughs> i'm not i'm not driving crazy i'm not running them off the road but i'm still like you're still having the reaction. My blood boiled enough for me to fucking raise my voice and right. yell at someone. Get in! Your signal's on. Get in! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And I gave you enough space. Get in. Well, and that's minor, you know. Right, but it's still to me. It's like I'm sorry. I'm just like I have a reaction. Yeah. When I should be like. Okay. Look, we can do a whole episode on road yeah, rage. Yeah, I guess we can. <laughs> okay, let's let's move yeah, on. Yeah, let's save road rage because I want to talk about merging in the zipper at uh, some other uh, time. We could do. Yes. <laughs> Put a pin in road rage. Yeah. We'll do that episode. Yes, we will. 
So as I was saying, this kind of leads into the ideology and they're trying to figure out what's really causing mass shootings. And that we really are all vulnerable. That's what's scary about mass shootings, right? Is because when you see things happen on the news, it's not you. It's not going to happen to you. But when you see the mass murders, the mass shootings, well, that could be anyone, right? Las Vegas could be anyone. The synagogue shooting could be any. Well, that's Jewish, but it's happened in movie theaters, mall shootings, and movie theaters, and happened on the road, anywhere. We're all vulnerable. If you've been on the road, you possibly could my, have been involved in a mass shooting. My own alma mater, my own high school, Marysville High School, had a school shooting. That is something I still. It's almost surreal to me, and it was five or six years ago. Well, after I was out of school, obviously, but the fact that, that it was happened one, at my school. One person. That was one person, and he uh, texted his friends to meet him in the cafeteria, and he point blank shot some of them in the face. He shot, I think, five kids, and then shot himself. Yeah. Tragedy. Very tragic. And, you know, for what? To what end? You know? So they say. Uh, there's a huge following online is always available to support any terrible thought that crosses your mind. So that's one of the problems with <clears throat> social media and things online is that there's always someone that's going to support your terrible, radical, Alex Jones style conspiracy theory ideas. When whether it be someone who is close to you and supporting <laughs> you or if it's someone who's just trolling mm -hmm. and do it. Right, right. You'll see both of them. Exactly. So they talk about in 2014, there was Elliot Rogers and discussing a discussion of his mental and behavioral health and how it's similar to how him and others have had difficulty showing empathy towards others. So they really have this almost inability to be able to even see other people as humans. Uh, maybe juxtaposed to this, wasn't there just a girl who was on trial for texting her boyfriend into killing himself? Well, there were two of them, actually. Oh, separate. Can... Um, are you talking about the most recent one? Seems I don't recent. Know, I don't know that she actually got to trial yet. So there was one uh, maybe a year she or two off. ago. Well, she, didn't, she went to jail, but she only got, I think, 18 months. She had been continually... Kill yourself. I know you. this is what you want. Go ahead and do it. Keep doing it. Blah, blah. She was super encouraging. Um, it was horrible. And he ended up killing himself in his own truck. He died by suicide. That's the one I was talking about. Uh, there's another one that is more recent uh, that I've heard about this year, 2019, that she also, well, it was different. It wasn't like, the other one was just continuous barrage. I mean, there were so many emails and just even while he was doing it she was continuing to do it that's when you're talking about this one she is uh she has charges against her but she, i don't think she's gone to trial she was actually physically there when he jumped off a building but the difference so they had broken up and i feel like she had said something like go die go kill yourself but then when he said I'm going to jump off this building. She was like, no, wait, don't do it. Stop. And she gets there and then he jumps. I'm not sure of all the details of that, but from what they've said on the news, it is a far cry from the first one you're talking about where 
She was actively participating in it up yes. until the you point he died. You should do it. Yeah. And like he even tried to stop, and she kept encouraging him. I mean, that was the a big only way you'll be happy is if you ever just kill yourself. Yeah. 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 Terrible. 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 Yeah, it was pretty terrible. So, the in the episode they discuss the prefrontal cortex, and in context of young men, because it develops later, and that affects choice. So your prefrontal cortex is really your decision-making center in your brain. It's your logical center that helps you make rational decisions. And in men, it doesn't develop until you're about 25 or 26. So if crazy things are happening when you're 20 or 19. Like hate. Everything is extreme. And you don't have a fully developed logical brain center. Then, of course, you're susceptible to this. And then add on top of that the millions of crazy people or trolls on the internet that are supporting the BS that you're spouting on the internet. So at this certain critical developmental portion of your life and your brain, Mm -hmm. you're flooded with these feelings of anger and hate. Well, you can be, not always. Does it mean they will always stick with you or does it mean that... No. That's what I'm wondering is... Is it if you're feel you're like at this point in your life if you're if you're just comforted in love and acceptance because people around you care about you a lot mm-hmm. and you don't have any problem with anybody else is that different than someone who is bombarded with let's just say notions of hatred toward people or another or even animals. I think it's more complicated than that, and we will get into, in another episode, a little bit more about how you can overcome a learned hate. There's a little bit of that in this, the rest of this okay, episode. I'm still trying. I know. I'm still on episode one, by the way, and we're all at 35 minutes. So I'm this sorry. Is, no, no, no. Don't be sorry. I knew this was going to go long. We went on a tangent. <laughs> uh, but no, you're, you're bringing up a good point, which is if you are flooded with and indoctrinated with crazy thoughts and ideas when you're young. At a critical age, yes. Will you continue to have those thoughts? The answer is not necessarily. <laughs> and, and we'll get into that. We'll, we'll be more specific about that. Um, so put a pin in that one. So what I really... Okay, so to finish up the idea of the prefrontal cortex, it talks about the discussion of the media bearing some responsibility for influence, influencing adolescent egocentrism. And that's really about stop saying their names. Stop glorifying this. Stop saying their manifestos. Don't publicize it. Don't put it all over the news 24-7 because if they're in pain and all they're thinking about is I'm going to be famous, then you continuing to put it on the media is not going to help. So social exclusion, this is another just adjunct to this. Social exclusion hurts just like physical pain. It's not an excuse, but it's a factor. So if you're an outsider in a social realm and you don't have friends to be able to support you, that is just like getting your leg cut off. It hurts that bad. Maybe even more. And I hope, hopefully... I believe, hopefully, in high schools, junior highs, they're teaching kids, hey, talk to people that you don't normally talk to. Accept people you don't mm. normally accept. 
I don't know. Be social. Talk to everybody. I really want to believe that's happening. Just talk to them. <laughs> Include them. Ask them how their day's going. Hey, if there's any teenagers listening to this, let us know. What is your experience? I want to know. Is it hard to say, hey, good morning. It's good to see you. Yeah. Or in whatever way you do that. Yeah. Yo. What's up, man? <laughs> Dude, what's up? <laughs> hey, bro. <laughs> do they still say what's hey, up? Hey, how you doing? We're, we're so good off my lawn. Yeah. Good morning. It's nice to see you. Hey. We, we might as well be boomers at this point. You are a boomer. I am not a boomer. Okay, You're older bo- okay, than boomer. I am. Okay, boomer. <laughs> All right. Back on track. <laughs> All right. So the last little bit of this episode, because we're still on episode one, is a fascinating story about Megan Phelps Roper. Now, she was the one that was the former Westboro Baptist Church member. Now, remind the listeners about Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, let's just, I'll just say, and this is one of their, their the, sign, the sign that they would hold that was most prevalent everywhere they went was God hates fags. So what was Bap- Westboro Baptist Church known for? They were known for spreading the word of God in their eyes as in homosexuality was completely wrong and indecent and and, and uh, an abomination. So they were um, mostly actually one family. Did you know that? I didn't know that until this episode. I kind of figured it was a little bit of an inbred. It was well situation. Going I wouldn't on. say that, but necessarily, but seventy to eighty mm-hmm. members. Sister wives. No. Well, I don't think they were polygamous, but they were kind of extended family. Uh, Her grandfather is the one that actually founded the organization. And what they became famous for was protesting at Matthew Shepard's funeral. So he was a gay teenager that was beat and left to to die. And tragic and horrible. They're also known for instigating and saying terrible things to cause people to fight them so that they could sue them to get money. Yeah, so basically at the at this kid's funeral. Yeah. They were there holding signs God hates fags and all kinds of other terrible things. And other terrible terrible things. And they even had Matthew Shepard's mom on this episode. I mean, just heartbreaking. So they said the question of how does someone grow up in a loving home turn to hate and how does someone who grew up in hate turn to love? That's really the question we all want to know, right? How do you come out of an environment and become the opposite of that, no matter what it is? So uh, the video was from, they did show a video of Matthew Shepard's funeral. And she said that the hate that they received, that the group Westboro Baptist Church received, actually reinforced their views of outsiders quote unquote because that's what they'd been taught right she she grew up in this she was a kid she was born into this so every time that someone said you hate me i hate you right everybody that backlashed against westboro baptist church just actually reinforced this cult-like mentality of see the world is terrible and they all hate us and they're just the worst human beings so it just was this feeding frenzy of hate she finally started to realize she was living in a tiny little bubble she is amazing so do you remember how she ended up leaving the church i 
I'm struggling to remember that exact episode. I just remember that she was speaking to other. She was speaking. She does go out and speak to other people, which is awesome that she puts herself out there. I can't remember the moment. Yeah. So someone on Twitter who was. Oh, that's. Yeah. So David Abital, if I'm saying that right, he's a Jewish blogger. He was a rabbi, wasn't he? He's not a rabbi, but he he is Jewish. So he just started a conversation with her. And initially her responses were very defensive. Angry and defensive, yes. And he continued to reach out. And she was like, I don't deserve the love and compassion that I'm being given. This doesn't make sense to me. And eventually it broke the bond she had with her church and she ended up leaving the church. Which I can't even fathom because she talks about in the episode that it was so, you know, you think, why wouldn't you just leave? That's your family. Yeah. That's literally your entire support system every that she walked being. away from. She's Everyone every- that she knows. <laughs> yeah. And she walked away from it. That is so incredibly brave. Yeah. I can't believe it. And only because she realized she had this polarizing moment. Yeah. And thank goodness for this guy. Because if he hadn't reached out to her, who knows if she would have changed her mind. She was almost an adult by the time that happened. Yeah. So it's really incredible. I forgot all about that. Yeah. So the last couple of notes I have from episode one is that it's about the power of compassion and engagement to bridge divides that seem unbridgeable. That's the quote that I took away from that. And that's the quote that she sa- says in her speeches. I'm going to repeat that. It's about the power of compassion and engagement to bridge divides that seem unbridgeable. That guy reached out a hand to what looked like an open mouth of a crocodile. Yeah. And he saved her. What do we have in common? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, And they talk about in the very end that the human brain really is adaptable. It's not easy. It's not easy to change what you're going through, but it is possible and that is the glimmer of hope. And it's not to say that anybody else in her family might have taken the conversations that he was giving. She is the one. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. It just takes one, though. Sometimes it just <laughs> takes one. Yeah. So it is uh, a little over 40 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and take a pause here. I'm going to note 43 minutes, and we'll see how long the next episode goes. I might make these into episodes, because there's just every single episode is so full of information that I can see this taking a long time. <laughs> I think a lot of people need to just start watching, just to, to like go back and find them and watch them. Yeah, they are so good, and I highly recommend any uh, of them. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into episode two, which is called Tribalism. So it starts with a political rhetoric video. And there's a quote here. Oh, this is the uh, neo-Nazi guy, isn't it? It is. Uh, Eventually. So it talks about, uh, there's a quote that says, We as humans go around dividing the world up into us versus them. When we categorize people on the basis of their religion or their race or their political party, we are not just saying this person's like me or they're not. We build a whole symbolic and ideological structure that goes along with the categorization. We want to promote our tribe. So that quote was right from the beginning of episode two. What does, and, that, what does that statement say to you? Yeah, that is um, 
I'm proud of who I am. And I want to show people that I'm proud of who I am. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Which is exactly what the white nationalist message right. is. And that makes sense to me. But when it starts to harm anyone else is when you need to pull the reins <laughs> and think about what you're doing. Yeah. And that's... I understand. <laughs> I, because I've already Keep seen talking. this. <laughs> I've seen this. And, uh, yeah. Um, proud to be a Marine. I was a Marine. It's a great example. There's a lot of cross... Um, you know, uh, armed forces BS that goes on. A lot of jokes and a lot of... Army versus lot of Navy. Rivet. The yeah. Army-Navy game's coming up. Yeah. All of it happens all the time. And uh, there's nothing wrong with joking around with the other guys, but not a single branch of the armed service is better than the other. They all work interconnected. And it's magic how they work, but yeah. Well, and it's also, in that regard... Like brothers, right? Or like siblings. Exactly. They can give each other crap, but we cannot take crap from outsiders. Right. I get some, some simpleton who who wears a suit calling me a jarhead. <laughs> but it's okay if I call you a jarhead because I'm from the <laughs> army. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. We'll work on that. Maybe. <laughs> Devil dog. <laughs> you can call me Teufelhund. <laughs> Oh, oh, goodness. Okay, back on track. <laughs> so, Lori Santos, who is a cognitive scientist, she's a professor of psychology at Yale. She also studies animals and other groups of monkeys on a specific island. So, these monkeys are kind of separated from humanity. And it still sets up an us versus them due to where they were born and what resources your group is protecting. So it goes back to the chimpanzees and bonobos again. It's all about resources. And I guess we have to assume that a lot of people who want to believe in this also believe in the theory of evolution, which is actually sure. a scientific proven fact. But Yes. Well, it's still called <laughs> this a is not a scientific podcast. Anyway, so. okay. Yeah. Uh, so then they jump into discussion of an experiment that was done in the 50s by... Masafer Sheriff, Sharif, Sharif. And this is kind of a Lord of the Flies experiment. So if anybody remembers this, he set up a fake summer camp of 12-year-old boys in Oklahoma. He put them in groups and made them compete. So again, this whole resource idea. Uh, it's so quickly devolved into arson and ransacking. And actual physical abuse. I mean, 12-year-old boys. Right. 12-year-old boys, guaranteed, don't know grown-up laws. But <laughs> this is how quickly that they start to think of right. battle. Right. So they found that competition was a huge factor. So not only is it resource-based, but it's competition-based. And this kind of led into a discussion about sports tribalism. So you were talking about military tribalism. They don't discuss that on the pod, on the episode, but it's absolutely the same kind of situation, that you are diehard whatever service you were in. Oh, yeah. And you will die hard defend it against any other service. Yes, you better. Even though 
you will defend it against outsiders, right? So if someone that was not in the military, a civilian... Talking shit about the Navy. Talking shit about any branch. Even, you know, the Coast Guard, the National Guard. Like, ones that we shit on all the time. Sorry, what have you done to serve your country? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. So when they're talking about sports tribalism, it's the same kind of thing. So uh, they talk about... Let's see here, where am I? That we are so very tribal, not only about, excuse me, individual players, but about other fans. So there's this whole... Oh, yes. It's coming back to me now. Yeah, you remember this? Yes, yeah. So it discussed identity fusion, where their identity is fused with a group, like soccer fans, where they would die for one another, literally die for one another, if a soccer fan... Like, another fan that you witness is getting beat up. And I put in parentheses, like the military bond. It's very much like that. Very passionate fans, uh, certain sports. And I would not say... And especially soccer slash football, whatever you want to call it. We would call it the world's sport. (laughs) It really is. I mean, aside. This is an aside. American football cannot call themselves world champions when there's no other competitors. Good point. Ah! Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but yes. That just drives um, me a banana sandwich. But yes, the entire planet plays soccer. Yeah. Yeah. The entire, literal, entire planet. Except for maybe Antarctica. And uh, many, many other countries are way more passionate about soccer. Yeah. Or what they would call football. Yeah, we think we're passionate about American football, but when you look at soccer fans... They are rabid, loving, endearing, every bit of yeah, high-powered fans. It was really incredible to watch the videos of how upset they got. I mean, then at some point you have to be like, it's just a game. Not to You need to calm down. Your blood pressure is going to pop something. That is tribalism, right? (laughs) Absolutely tribalism. So they talk about uh, moving towards the Democrats and Republicans, right? That's what we've been talking about lately. Everything's divisive. And it's more name-calling. So the political tribalism is even stronger than sports since it brings in personal values and morals. So sports teams think about how completely crazy they get about their team. And then add on to that your personal values. That your personal values are being threatened. And then that's political tribalism. So I discussed how uh, a friend, uh, so, so many friend and business relationships used to be civil. And they can't even communicate now. Yeah, there are conversations that have just been cut short. Yeah. And this is just the new place I'm working now. Yeah. Other com- other conversations just would never have happened. <laughs> and I knew better. Yeah. But yes, in my new workplace, it's just a, a certain conversation starts going a certain way. And they're like, and they're... You kind of police themselves? Very much. Nice. And I, and I completely respect and be like, excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, moving on to whatever else we would have been talking about. <laughs> Change the subject right away. So they're a little more civil about it. They're incredibly civil. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. 
and it, I think it's the way it should be done in the workplace. This is what just cracks me up so much is that the discussion from conservatives about how the mainstream media is biased is the literal exact same argument from the Democrats. They're both arguing this, <laughs> the same thing. And somehow they can't ever see it from the other side. They will never listen to the other side. They will never trust the other side. And they feel that they were literally at war for our country because of this divide. Both sides say that the other is uh, evil and that they're driven by hate. Both sides say this. And how can that possibly both be true? Because they were showing clips from people that were out campaigning for Democrats and out ca campaigning for Republicans. And it was so crazy to hear their same exact arguments. Like, we're coming from a place of just supporting our own values and morals. But these other people, they just hate everybody and they're terrible. And it literally could be either side. Not sure who it is that I hate. I'd like to... Well, they're, I'm not going to lie to you. They're all Democrats that are hateful and terrible. You know, if you think about values, when you bring it back to values and morals. Democrats that hate? Yes. There are such a thing. I know there are people that hate. I don't think all that, Democrats. No, I don't think all anybody does. But there are people on both sides. That, that have that hate in their heart? I just had a flashback of there are good people on both sides. God damn it. Uh. <sighs> But there are good people on both sides there of are what situation were you good thinking people about? and there are terrible people on both sides of every single thing in the world. I suppose that is a way of thinking about a certain situation. <laughs> so I noted specifically that social capital has been eroded eroded by polarization. Why can't I say that? Social capital has been eroded by polarization. So we are so far divided at this point yes. that we can't even see where our friends and family are. The divide has been polarized. The mm -hmm. whole divide has been polarized. We can't see to the other side. And I, you know, this is, again, an aside. We're never going to get through these episodes. This is an aside. Is that through my life, and in particularly the last three years... I have really tried to remember times in history when things were worse. Because things were worse. The Civil Rights Movement was a terrible time in this country for many people. The Civil War was a terrible time. And rebuilding was a terrible time in this country. The Revolutionary War was a terrible time in this country. So many things were a terrible time in this country. Yeah, you haven't felt them because you weren't alive. I wasn't alive. But I'm trying to remember... So that I don't have the panic and the reaction that I'm feeling right now from how terribly divided we are. And I'm trying to remember a time that my parents lived through and my grandparents lived through. And I'm asking all kinds of people that are my elders to remind me of those times. Because it is so fucking upsetting I to know, hear. I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so upsetting. To hear how terrible we are to each other. And I have to keep reminding myself that this is not the worst time in history, but it is a terrible time. I feel like I know the answer to this, but... Oh, I want to hear the answer. Do you have any hate? Do I have any hate? Hmm. 
I don't think I have hate. I would like to think that I don't have hate. I know you don't. I have dislike. I have vitriol. (laughs) Uncomfortability. I have strong disagreements. I have concerns. But I can't really think of any... Hatred. That's not true. I can't think of hate. But I tend not to hold on to it. So when I'm thinking of hate, I'm thinking of much more specific instances of mass murder, genocide. Oh, child child rape and murder. Child yes. rape. Okay, yeah. Not, but but I'm even, talking about even in- then, the social work side of me is still like, what happened to that person to make them do that? Understood. Because Got they it. are either a chimpanzee or bonobo. Why are they doing that? And the social work part of me is ripping apart at my hate. So I can't hold on to it. Right. I want to. <laughs> Sometimes I really want to. And I think that person in that place who was at one month old was able to rape another right. child. Right. What happened in that person's life? Right. Right. I got gotcha. you. To create that thing, you know? And I'm not sure where I stand. I think there's still disagreement and question about. Is someone like Ted Bundy born that way? Are they born with predispositions? Is and there then... redemption? I don't know. I just don't know. All right. How far are we going? We're still in episode two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to the episode. So. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. People are less likely to date outside of their political party than race at this point in 2019. Can you believe that? 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, within our lifetime almost, it was illegal for some places to marry outside your race. Uh, That same time ago, Republicans were Democrats and Democrats were Republicans. (laughs) Well, no, that was, well, shoot, what was that? Was that? No, that was back with, that was back with Abraham Lincoln. No. That was not the 50s. He's saying it was the 50s. It was not. It changed with Abraham Lincoln. Anyway. So, that is incredible to me that people are less likely to date outside of their political party. It's actually becoming something that you put in your profile for a dating app is what political party you are. Because they're more likely to not date you if you are not the same political party than if you're a different race. That's incredible. I'm Googling. Well, Google it later. Think about this, though. Can you even fathom 50 years ago that that was the case? That you would be willing to date outside of your race? I'm almost 48 and it was 1970, so. Yeah, that's incredible. Dating outside your race, hopefully in the 70s, was still all right because it was almost. No, it was not all right. It was right right after the fucking, the season of love. Do you think racism has disappeared? 69. You can't hardly date outside your race now. And yet. People are more likely to do that than Come date on. outside their political party. People are party. hitting the regal beagle. Uh, all right. Agree to disagree. Let's move on. I like to think it was in the early 70s, early, early 60s, or mid-60s. Were people doing it? Yes. Was it still illegal in some places? Absolutely. In the terrible. That's what terrible I'm saying. Conclusion. 
So there was discussion about how we came to our political beliefs. And there, let me think, hear what you think about this. There's some research that shows, and I heard this on a Hidden Brain episode, actually, actually that up to 50% of our political beliefs are genetic. Hmm. What do you think about that? I don't have to agree with that. It's, it's a study. It's true. Yeah. It does nudge us towards personality types. Okay. Does it give you the percentage of the accuracy of their... Well, it's not destiny. It's not like you're absolutely going to be this one way or another. But it's, it's their finding in the studies... Like the survey says. <laughs> what they're finding in the studies is that it's much more than just you grew up in this household, but it's actually genetic. It's incredible. I don't remember the whole study, but... That's genetically, the way you're... Off, you're, the the way genetically, you're, the, your personality drives you towards a certain political view. I guess I would tend to believe that. It's pretty incredible. But I mean, Alex P. Keaton came from... <laughs> came from uh... I can't believe you just brought up Alex <laughs> P. Keaton. All right. For all you younger people out there, Alex P. Keaton is a character on Family Ties where his entire family was liberal and he was a conservative. And that was fun at the time. It's not so fun now. But it's a fact. It is a fact. <laughs> and that was played by Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And we all loved him. Pre Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Pre Back to the Future. <laughs> all right. So they talk about tribal glasses and that there's no more objective facts. That we will not see facts in the same way. And then it makes us susceptible to fake news. What do you think about that? Less subjectable to fake news. No, it makes us susceptible to oh, fake susceptible. news. Because we are less likely to see facts in the same way. So, this is a great example. That's impeachment right now. You have Republicans and Democrats in the whole country. Stating facts. Quote, unquote, facts. Right? Yeah, I'm... Doing the Ravagers. Yeah. And, and they still Democrats are having stating. completely different reactions to these same statements. Yes. So this is what they're talking about. So they're talking about the media and that it continues to polarize us. They're not here to help us. They're actually just here to make money. They don't give a shit. What they're saying is basically there's no such thing as a fact. There are two sides to every fact. Well, I would argue that there are three sides to every fact. There's the fact, and then there's how you view it, which is always both sides. Just like in a relationship. In a relationship, there are always going to be two sides that you see, the, per the two people that are seeing it, and then there's going to be the objective truth for an outsider looking in. So there's always three facts. And we wind a up fact in... fact is a fact. <laughs> We wind up in these echo chambers on social media. So this is really tricky here. And they're talking about why we trust Facebook. And this kind of leads into the whole how we got sucked into... Who's we? We as society. So I don't trust Facebook at all. I don't trust I don't anything. Either. I have serious trust issues. But this is what they're talking about. We trust Facebook because we think it's just that what our friends are sharing. So when we see something, we, the general we, not me and you, we. Everything I see is opinion. Babe. Okay. We're Go talking on. about general society. Go on. 
general society sees Facebook and they see, think that it's just things that our friends are sharing. And so we trust it because it's things that our friends have vetted, right? And they've shared it. But that's obviously not always the case. So they talk about some refugee attacks that increased in towns where the majority of people get their news on Facebook. Yes, there are places, including America, <laughs> that get the majority of their news on Facebook. So Myanmar is a great example of this, right? Facebook, who refuses to take any responsibility. Oh, I thought they were trying to attempt to. I'm not trying to defend Facebook, but I saw it was like, they're realizing they're causing harm they are worldwide mm-hmm. and facebook played a role in disseminating the information that facilitated hate crimes in myanmar there were the and this is the crazy part like, it was buddhists they don't have actual reliable news sources there or the, right but facebook's not reliable either but the buddhist news stream whatever stream they were doing everyone listened more to than whatever news stream they had. Right. And these particular Buddhists, who everybody likes to stereotype as peaceful and friendly, were actually causing a friggin' genocide. It was actually a hate crime. Which is insane to me. <laughs> but no one monks. thinks that that can happen, but it happened. Yeah. Was there any justification for that? Well, I don't need. I don't know a lot of detail about what is happened. Is there justification for a hate crime? I can't speak to that. Is there justification ever for a hate crime? Is that what you're asking me? I want to say no. Okay. Is there justification for whatever those Buddhists were complaining about? I don't know. I don't know the details of that. But is there justification for hate crimes and genocide? No. So, I'll make that distinction. Okay. So, at each case of... I'll I'll high-five you. High-five me? Okay. At each case of war in the span of human history... It includes a group identity at work, which allows us to do terrible things to each other. So there's this group identity behind everything. In the span of human history, it's all about group identity. And we tend to believe our behaviors are out of love, and we tend to believe that the behaviors of others are out of hate towards us, right? So just for example, they use the discussion of Israeli and Palestinian conflict and that their own ideas from their point of view turns into a competitive victimhood. So do you remember that episode when they were talking about different sides of the wall? Yeah. So it's right back to, I mean, if you want to simplify it, it's right back to Republicans and Democrats, right? Yeah. Is that we think we're doing things out of love, and so do they. They say the same thing. We're doing everything because we care. That is what's ridiculous. 99%, 90%, I would say at least, of our values between Republicans and Democrats are the same. We can't see that because all we see is these terrible pundits saying all, spewing all this crap and not, we can't even hear each other anymore. We can't even hear each other anymore. Okay, here's what we do. Okay. Send a bunch of people with sledgehammers. Okay. And crates of free hugs t-shirts. Okay. First, sledgehammer the shit out of the walls they have up. In the Gaza Strip? Yes, and then start putting on those t-shirts as the walls are crumbling. Like, free hugs. 
Well, we don't have Reagan and his trickle-down economics yeah, that say, take down that wall. They probably all really, truly love each other. They don't know each other. They don't know Do you remember other. that episode? That They were talking saying. about they don't even see faces of the other people, so there's no way to humanize right, them. Just launching. They don't see each other as human. That's how they're able to hate each other. If there's one example, I mean, that let's get down to the brass tacks of this podcast. That's what I want to be doing here. I saw a documentary where they had tunnels going down underneath and back and forth, and they were from Palestine to Israel. Yes, really. Yes. Hmm. They're not. They're not well. Did El Chapo make them? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Did they have motorcycles? Maybe he did. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make fun of that. That's yeah. terrible. But seriously, that is exactly what this podcast is supposed to be about. It's about bringing different views of people and ideas and things that you would not normally be exposed to and making them not so scary so that maybe we can actually have a conversation. We don't have to agree. The question is, why? Why do we hate? Well, we're still getting there. We're still in episode two. So let's finish that up. (laughs) So then they get into, in this episode, generational trauma. They did not talk about sperm, but they do talk about generational trauma. And they have no contract with the other side of the wall. No contact at all for the other side of the wall in Palestine and Israel. And therefore, they cannot see each other as people. So the thing that I starred here, that I accentuated, is victimhood psychology can allow us to ignore all of the terrible things that our own group has done in the past. And this really struck me because I was thinking about white privilege and I was thinking about slavery when this came up. Now, they were talking about Israel and Palestine. This has been going on for thousands of years. It's mountainous country. They can see other people from over the They can literally see each other. (laughs) With binoculars. They can see people. It's not like they're like, oh, wall, I can't see them. But it made me think about all the things that all of us have done to each other in the past. And specifically, slavery in America. And when we think about being victimized with affirmative action, by the way, then we think about how, when we see ourselves as victims, we can't see the other people. We can't see what's happened to the other people. It's so far in the past. It didn't happen in our lifetime. You know, civil rights didn't happen in our, you and I's, lifetime. But it happened in our parents' lifetime. It wasn't that long ago. And yet, somehow, it's lost to history already. You know? (coughs) So, I can see how people struggle to remember history, but it also means that it's easier to dehumanize and go right back to the tribalism that we already know. So. uh, I like the way you put, yes. Thank you. you So, they talk about uh, coming back to the study of the boys in the 50s, the Lord of the Flies study. And after the arson and the rummaging and the terrible things happened. Then they changed the actual summer camp into that they couldn't succeed unless they worked together. And instantly... Teamwork. Instantly, the former hostility ended because they had a common goal. This made me think of 9-11. And they even mentioned, I don't think they mentioned 9-11, but they said a common threat can do the same thing. It can also, though, lead to more racism and hatred. So 
right? We were starting to be divided. The media was putting us all apart. And 9-11 happened, right? And bam, we are unified against the common enemy. And everybody loves everybody. And everybody put a flag out. And we're all Americans. And now we hate Muslims. Did all Muslims do this? Absolutely no. not. There are Muslims in America that are amazing people. But this is what history teaches us. And yes. we need to learn from history, correct? Yes. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. What if, what if our common goal was to have education for everyone <laughs> and health care for everyone? How dare you, sir? What are you, a And socialist? then also not hate everyone. <laughs> All right, well, what does that mean? we are over an hour into this, and we're only into through episode two. So I'm going to go ahead and end this episode. I appreciate your contributions, and we will continue talking about episode three through six. I hope another... I was a decent guest. You were a wonderful guest. You always are. And I think all the listeners appreciate your input. No, thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. If you have been watching or you have watched Why We Hate, please comment. Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear them. Yeah, great show. You can ep- you can email us at someDayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at SomedayDeadPC. And you can find us on Facebook at Someday Will All Be Dead Podcast. Oh, and check out Drunk History. If you've ever seen Drunk History, you can <laughs> check that out. It's well, it's not active right now, but you should always watch Drunk History or go back and listen to our Drunk History episode. Anyway. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, and we will continue on with this exploration of why we hate in the next episode. In the meantime, why should they be paying attention to this episode? I know why. Why? Someday, we'll all be dead. (laughs) Thank you.